You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Welcome. Uh, again, my name is, uh, is Lucas, and uh, yeah, thanks for everyone for coming out. Um, yeah, as Ovi said, uh, we're, um, we're actually doing a, uh, another standalone sermon today. We're kind of in between sermon series. Um, if you guys don't know, um, or if you're new with us, we, we usually do whole uh, series. Uh, and we do that for a purpose because we can kind of build on ideas and kind of dig deeper. Um, but uh, when we just do kind of like one-off sermons, uh, you can only go so far. And, uh, and you'll actually see that today. Uh, this, uh, this topic, um, we're actually going to be talking about rest today. Um, and, uh, and rest is, uh, man, it's, 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 it's massive in the Bible, and it, it could be its own sermon series. And, uh, and again, this is why we do sermon series, so we, we can take the time to go deep. Um, but, uh, but today, as we go through, um, if it feels like I'm skipping over things, I think I've said this before, uh, it's because I am. Uh, I, I, there's just not enough time to, to dig into everything. Um, but uh, to kind of cue you guys up, uh, like I said, we're in between. We just uh, finished a series on suffering. And, uh, and then next week, we're actually going to start a series on Malachi. So we're going to go through uh, the entire book of Malachi uh, expositionally. So we're going to go verse by verse and, uh, and hit everything in there. Uh, it's not a very long book. Uh, but the thinking is, uh, if you don't know where Malachi situates in the Old Testament, uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And, uh, and it kind of ends on a bit of a dire note. Um, and uh, it's just like, the end. <laughs> You're like, great. <laughs> that, it it, it kind of leaves you wanting, but then the next book uh, of the Bible is the first book of the New Testament, and that's Matthew. And Matthew starts with the birth of Christ, right? Just, it just it ends with, uh, uh, with the big, the Old Testament ends with a big question mark, uh, and, uh, and the New Testament starts with the answer, right? Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of our plan, is we're actually going to go through Malachi, uh, and then right at the end of Malachi, that's when we're actually going to pick up a Christmas series. So uh, that, that's where we're actually going to start talking about, about that birth of Christ and kind of prepare our hearts and our minds for uh, celebrating the birth of our Jesus. Um, and Christmas is only 68 days away. 60, yeah, I'm counting. I, <laughs> I love Christmas. I'm the guy that, like, after Halloween, I'm listening to Christmas music. Yeah, don't wait for Thanksgiving. Yeah. At it. Yeah, I, I start way too early, but, um, but yeah, I, I love Christmas, so I'm, I'm really excited for Malachi and then uh, kind of preparing, uh, preparing that question mark so that when we get to Christmas, we, uh, we can explore that answer. So, like I said, today we are going to be exploring this concept of rest and, uh, and evidenced by all the babies here. Um, I think uh, this is a very uh, appropriate message for kind of this life stage uh, that, uh, that a lot of us are finding ourselves in. Um, I feel like almost all the conversations I have with people, not just with you guys, but like everybody, uh, hey, how you doing, Lucas? I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, that just, it seems to be my default answer, and, um, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a lot of that in return, where people are just, um, they, we, we talk about our busyness, and this isn't a sermon on busyness, necessarily, um, so if you're, if you're looking on how to like manage your life and manage your time better, I can't help you with that. But uh, what, uh, what we are going to explore uh, is just what it, what it is to rest. Because I, at least for me, when, I, when people ask me how I'm doing and I talk about my busyness, what I'm really communicating is my, is, is my restlessness. Uh, and uh, and, and, and this, is, this is something that I want us to explore uh, as a body. And, uh, and what, what is it to rest? And also, when we find ourselves conflicted in life, uh, it's generally a good idea to go to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about rest? What is this rest that the Bible talks about? And you don't have to be in the Bible for long to recognize that the Bible actually has a lot to say about rest. Uh, like I said, we're not going to be able to hit everything, but, uh, but right at the beginning, uh, God creates everything in six days, and then the seventh day, he rests, right? Um, also, a uh, very specific note, we'll talk about this more, uh, is Adam, uh, he was the last thing created on the sixth day, and then the seventh day was resting, so Adam had only ever known rest. He hadn't known work, or he hadn't seen God working. He had only ever seen or experienced God's rest. Um, and then uh, fast forward to Noah. Uh, Noah, or Nuach in the Hebrew, is actually another word for rest. It's a type of rest. Uh, and, uh, and so Lemek, when he names his son Noah, he's, he's, he's basically 
uh, he's expecting him to be the Messiah, right? The, the rest, the one that brings us into, uh, back into Eden, back into rest. Um, and uh, even Second Chronicles uses that same language. Second Chronicles talks about how uh, God saved mankind through rest on the ark, right? Uh, but it wasn't rest on the ark, it was Noah. But they, they understood, they had that vernacular. Um, and, uh, and then even Israel, uh, they were told to Sabbath uh, one day a week, right? Uh, and then every seven years, the, the whole land rested for a year, right? Uh, this, this concept of rest is just over and over and over. Uh, and then we get to the New Testament where this rabbi is walking around Israel telling people, if you are weary, come and I will give you rest. It would have spoke a thousand words to these people. And it would have been rather jarring as well because it's only God that gives rest and this rabbi is offering rest. Could he be the son of God, right? So uh, where we're actually going to end up is, uh, is we're going to hang out in Hebrews. Um, and that's uh, we're going to hang out in Hebrews uh, 12 through 4, 16. Uh, and uh, and that's, uh, it's basically all of chapter 4 and half of 3. So we actually have a lot of text to go through. Um, and we're also going to hang out in Genesis a little bit. So we have a lot to go through. If it feels like I'm going fast, I'm sorry. Uh, try to uh, just bear with me as we go through this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to explore rest and what it is to be uh, restful uh, even in our work. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read, uh, read the passage. Uh, so again, that's uh, Hebrews 3, and we're going to start in uh, 12, and then we're going to go all the way to, uh, to the end of 4. Um, and uh, if you don't have your Bible or anything, I think, yeah, so I, I have it up here, uh, so you can just follow along. Uh, after we're done reading, uh, I'll go ahead and pray, and, uh, and we'll get into things. All right, Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came, came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, we must fear if, while a promise remains of entering that rest, any of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have good news preached to us just as they did also. But the word that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they certainly shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who previously had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again sets a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the ones who had entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet he is without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just uh, I want to thank you for another opportunity for us to get together and, uh, and just dig deep into your word. And I ask that you just prepare our hearts for for what you uh, want to communicate to us through this word. And just thank you for giving us that word. Um, we know nothing about you outside of what you've revealed. And uh, you didn't even have to do that. Um, we just thank you again for every opportunity that you've given us and every opportunity you will give to us. And I thank you for the future hope and the future rest uh, that will come uh, in the consummation of all things. And just keep us ready and prepared uh, to, uh, to do the work now, to enter that rest now. Just keep us focused on that work. And keep us focused on, uh, on the gifts, the good gifts that you've given to us. We thank you again. We love you. Amen. So there's, uh, there's four major points uh, that I'm going to, uh, to hit on. Three of them are applications. So the sermon is mostly uh, just application, which is, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I love preaching application, um, and, uh, and I also like ruining my points, so I'll just give them to you now. Um, so the, the four points are uh, rest will cost you. Uh, the second point is rest through community. This is when the application starts. Uh, the second one is, uh, is rest through God's word in faith. And the third one is rest through Christ and his example. So we're going to hang out in the, in the first one, uh, and that's that rest will cost you. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're going to talk about this because uh, I think this is, uh, this, this is a, a contention that we have to wrestle with. Um, all of us, all of humanity, every single person craves rest. We all do. Uh, it, it's not just a, a Christian thing. It's everybody craves rest rest. Uh, and yet, when God offers us rest as Christians, why is it that we don't take it? Um, this, uh, this, this contention is, uh, is interesting, and I think the writer of Hebrews is, is kind of drawing us into that, is that uh, rest actually costs you something. There is a work to enter into that rest. And often we find ourselves doing this uh, kind of uh, um, uh, cost-benefit analysis with well, what, what does it actually take? How much work is, it, is actually required of me? What am I getting out of this deal? Uh, and so often we, uh, what we end up doing, at least me, uh, what I end up doing is, uh, is I start analyzing, I, I, could, I could take time, I could do the work of entering this rest, or I could do something else. And often I, I make these decisions, just small incremental decisions, but they add up, uh, but these decisions of just later. I'll do that later. I'll work on this later. And yet, it's something that inside of me, it just, it craves. And, I, and, and there, there's this, this odd contention of, of God putting before us something that, that, all, that our, our deepest humanity craves for, uh, and yet we still just, maybe later. Uh, and, and, and I think we, uh, a lot of this is, is due to just our perspective on things. Uh, in the same way that it's hard for uh, kind of younger people to save up for retirement, uh, it's, it's far off, right? But it's so much easier for them to save up for retirement, right? Um, and, uh, and if you save early, retirement becomes easier, but it's just hard for them to imagine what, like, the, the benefit of that when they're so far away. But then when you get closer, uh, you, you start saving a lot more, right? Um, and uh, you almost start panicking. Where it's like, uh, how, do I, how can I save more? How can I uh, kind of trim my life back so I can do this more? Uh, as we get closer, uh, we, we become more dedicated. But as, as the concept is kind of distant, uh, we become less dedicated. And I think the writer of Hebrews is, is drawing us into this concept that we enter rest now. We don't wait for that. And our perspective on that shifts, and when it shifts, we actually start doing that cost-benefit analysis a little bit more accurately. 
What if you benefit now? What if we now have to wait till eternity to actually enter into this rest? Right? The work becomes sweeter. Uh, it's, it's, and this is a terrible analogy. I just couldn't think of a better one. But stick with me. Imagine for a moment that, uh, that your parents, uh, you're, you're a little kid, and your parents, uh, they're telling you, I, you got to eat dinner, right? Um, you got to stop playing. You got to eat dinner. You don't want to. You don't want to stop playing, right? You you want to, and so you're fighting with them on that. And then they put a chocolate lava cake on the table, and they say, "I need you to eat dinner." You're going to stop playing, right? And you're going to eat dinner, right? What if what if rest was that thing? What if it was the thing that we like? Oh, I'll stop everything for that, right? Now again, that's a terrible analogy. Lava cake's a terrible dinner. I recognize that, right? But <laughs> the, the the point is like, what what if what if we what if we craved that? What if we were willing to stop the world for that? We'd be willing to pay the cost. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews also uh, offers this uh, this backwards perspective of uh, yes, rest costs you. There is work to enter into rest. But the writer of Hebrews, if, if you picked up on this, uh, there's actually a cost for not entering rest. And this is also something that we miss is because that cost of not entering rest is also far off. And the writer of Hebrews, he talks about how enter this rest lest you fall away, lest you become hard like Israel. If, if we understand this perspective, if we understand that the cost of doing the work of entering into God's rest, that cost is far less than the cost of not entering into rest. And so when we, when we understand that perspective, when we get into that space, we start understanding we, we can't afford to not rest. And again, this, this just, it seems almost silly where it's all of us crave rest and God's like, I got it for you. And by the way, you have to take it. You have to take the thing that you want. You have to take this sweet treat. And then we still say, mm, maybe later. And this, this, is, uh, this is, is hard to understand, but I, I think it adds a lot more uh, clarity if we go back to the beginning. Why is it that we find ourselves in, the, in this situation? Uh, what, where where is, have the, the lines blurred in this? Why isn't it as easy as eating chocolate lava cake? So, uh, we're actually going to go back all the way to Genesis, uh, where it all started. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read through Genesis 3, uh, at least a portion of it. Um, and uh, we're going to start in 314. I'll give you a little bit of context. I already told you that God created the earth in six days, and then on the seventh day he rested. Man was cre- he was the last thing created, and so all man had ever experienced is God re- God's rest. Uh, and, uh, and God puts him in the garden. Uh, and again, the garden was just flawless, right? Uh, you, uh, you didn't even have to get hungry. You could just reach out, grab fruit, and eat, right? Fill your belly. Um, everything was flawless. Uh, childbirth, flawless, easy. Um, communing with God, flawless, easy. Uh, what do you have to do to commune with God? Wake up, right? He's just walking around. Like, you don't, you don't have to do this work. It's just everything is flawless, right? It's, it's almost like it's rest, right? So, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, God tells them, listen, take anything you want, just not the, tr- the fruit from the tree of good and evil. Um, and I think that, uh, that kind of gets lost to us. Uh, all, that, all that's indicating is that uh, God's telling Adam and Eve, I don't want you to discern what's good for you and what's wrong for you. I want, me to, I want you to want me to do that for you. I'm going to tell you what's good and what's, what's, what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to tell that. I'm going to give that to you, right? And so Adam and Eve, they reach out and they grab that fruit because they wanted to determine what's right for them, Right? And so they, uh, uh, Eve is tempted by the serpent. She takes the fruit, and then she hands it to Adam, who's apparently right next to her, uh, and uh, didn't bother to say anything. And, uh, and so then Adam eats. Uh, God comes, and he asks Adam's, uh, Adam, what happened? He said, well, it's, it's kind of your fault because you gave me the woman. Uh, and then he asked the woman, well, uh, what happened? And she said, well, it's a serpent. Uh, and then the, God doesn't, he doesn't ask the serpent anything. It's like he doesn't care what the serpent has to say. And then Genesis 3 comes into play. And, uh, and this is where uh, God actually curses uh, all of creation in that same order. So he, curse, he, he starts with the serpent, or in reverse order, rather. 
So he starts with the serpent, and then the woman, and then man. So uh, that's what we're going to read, and we'll kind of uh, explore this passage a little bit deeper. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and your, and your offspring and her descendant. She shall, she shall bru- he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and yet you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's a couple of things I want us to, uh, to recognize is that all of these curses could be summed up in as restlessness. Everything was perfect. Everything was flawless, right? And now there's, there's toil, right? You want to fill your belly, you'll have to do it by the sweat of your face. You want to bear children, it's going to cost you. And a lot of times, especially just think in the context of ancient civilization, if something goes wrong in childbirth, it often costs them their life. Childbirth is dangerous now. It's this thing that dogs us. It's this restlessness. Adam fills his belly with restlessness. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, God tells, uh, tells all of them uh, that the serpent is going to eat dust the rest of his days. Uh, so we know that the serpent is Satan. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about snakes, uh, they don't eat dust. They eat like mice and stuff. So what is, what is what's being communicated here? And Adam uh, is reminded at the very end of the curses that you are dust. Satan will be seeking the destruction of mankind for the rest of your time. So if it wasn't bad enough that you will be restless in your food, you will be seeking satisfaction, and you will never be satisfied. If that wasn't bad enough, something is always going to be seeking your destruction for the rest of your days. And all these things are, are meant to remind us that we have left rest. And so when we find ourselves restless, like me, when people ask me, hey, how you doing? And I communicate, I'm restless. That should remind us we are in a broken state. We belong in rest. We were created for that. And when we're outside of that creative order, uh, things start getting angsty. They start getting uh, chaotic in our lives. And so uh, if even, even childbearing or child-rearing, uh, if moms ever experience mom guilt, right? This is meant to remind you that we are in a broken state, right? We are restless. And, uh, and also, it's, it's very important to note that what, what did Adam and Eve deserve at this moment? Well, they deserved judgment, but what they got was cursing, and I think this, uh, we're often, uh, we kind of misunderstand this passage because this is a desperate situation, but this is a gift. A gift of restlessness is constantly reminding us to get back to Eden, come back to rest. You're built for rest. Don't do this on your own. We now have the ability to discern what's right and wrong for ourselves, but God's inviting us to, into the space of that doesn't work. Rest works. And so this, this gift of restlessness is meant to remind us so when we feel this pull, when we feel this restlessness, don't despair, but just remember what you're made for. Remember that we're made for Eden. We're made for God's rest. And, uh, and, and this, uh, this cursing is, uh, is kind of what, what, what causes us to do this cost-benefit analysis with doing the work of entering rest. Because Adam absolutely had work in the garden. He, was, he had three jobs. That was uh, work uh, to work and keep the garden and to multiply. Um, 
Yeah, seems like uh, interesting work. But uh, the, the, he had three jobs, right? So three jobs in, in, uh, in the garden. Uh, and now he's cursed with toil. And the, the curses blur this line between toil and work. And we often find ourselves here when we start doing this cost-benefit analysis because we, we have a hard time recognizing what's work and what's toil. And so we find ourselves going from, from toil to toil to toil to toil, and we think that we're doing work. And sometimes we even call it, call it relaxing, but really we're just toiling more, right? Like we, we, we just want to break from our toil, uh, and so we go on Facebook and we waste, we blow three hours just scrolling through something, right? Or Instagram, I don't, I don't know. I'm off social media, so I'm not like hip with, uh, with all the, yeah, whatever social media is popular now. But uh, we, we, we go from toil to toil, right? Um, or me and Emily, we, we do this all the time after the kids go down and we don't have anything else to do. Uh, we sit down, we grab food, and, uh, and we watch The Office, right? So yeah, we, we go from toil to toil, right? We're just distracting ourselves from our toil, right? And I, I think what toil does is it just brings more restlessness into our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, how often are we actually doing like real work, and I, I think that's, that's what's blurred this lines is we, we start analyzing this cost of just, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this work because it feels like toil, but I want to do the toil because it feels like work. And, uh, and, and this, this is the condition that we find ourselves in is, uh, is this, this is why we do this cost-benefit analysis. We, we, we don't see what's being offered to us as clearly as it is. But if we, if we divide those things out, uh, we start seeing things far more clearly, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is, is talking to us about, is, uh, is again, that kind of dual cost. Yes, it costs you, it works, you have to work to enter into rest, but the cost of not entering into rest costs you your soul. We need to be honest about not confusing toil and work, but we need to be serious about doing the work of entering into rest. And so there's, uh, there's uh, the, th- the next uh, point, and so this is where uh, we're just going to hang out in uh, kind of practical application, is how then do we enter into rest? What is that work? So the first point is rest through community. And that's going to be in, uh, in Hebrews 3, 13 through 14. Uh, and I already read this, and so we'll, we'll go ahead and get back into it. But encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called today, so that no one will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the very end. What the writer of Hebrews is reminding us is that we do the work of entering rest here. It's through community. It's through churching with each other. Uh, and it, it's, it's no mistake that this is one of our core values, right? It's community. It's, it's doing life through community. Uh, and, it's, uh, and we often uh, feel like we're doing community. Uh, we hang out and we just kind of complain at each other. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not what he says is encourage one another, right? And we miss this. We, we so often, uh, we, we get so focused on sharing the gospel with, uh, with unbelievers that we forget that we need to share the gospel with each other. We need to encourage each other with this gospel. We need to share the good news. Talk about Christ. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Encourage one another. Uh, and also just being honest with one another. Like, could you imagine if you just walked up to someone, hey, what's God teaching you? And they said, nothing. I'm stuck. Yeah. Right? And they were just brutally honest of just, I, I don't know. And the other person could encourage them, oh, let me tell you what God's doing in my life then. Let me share what God's doing with me. Like, what if we get stuck, but that's okay because we have community helping us out? And this, this, is, and this isn't easy, right? We all know this. Relationship is hard. It takes time. It takes effort, right? And just getting, getting to the bones of other people, that's, that's hard work. But community is where we start this work. We start to enter into God's rest through this community, through encouraging each other. 
And again, he offers that backwards uh, cost analysis of um, uh, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we neglect this, if we flake on this, we roll the dice of being hardened by sin. I've had a lot of friends that have walked away from the faith. They grew up in Christian homes. They grew up in the church. And one of the first steps to that journey is they walk away from the church. They throw their hands up. They recognize that church is broken, and they give up. And it only goes in one direction. And I think that's important is, is we need to be honest. Don't be disillusioned. Church doesn't save you, and uh, church isn't perfect, right? I think our church is awesome, but it's, it, it, it might have some flaws, and we need to be honest about that, right? So we're, we're, we are, this church does not save you. This church doesn't push you into rest, but this is where work starts. It starts in community. We enter rest through our community. Uh, just the other day, uh, I was working late, and uh, another one of my coworkers was working late, and uh, he came into my office, we were talking, and uh, it was around dinner time, and I was like, hey, let's just go get Leo's or something. And uh, we just grabbed dinner real quick, and we just for like an hour and a half, we just talked about like Jesus and theology and the Bible and just kind of where we're coming from. And, uh, and I walked away from that like just feeling so refreshed, so rejuvenated, uh, and almost frustrated I'm like, why don't I do this more often? I don't make time for this at all. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating, or it's, it's almost easy. Um, at least it's easier than the alternative of just being restless all the time. Um, but it, it's, it's distant in my mind. It, like, it doesn't occur to me to just commune with other believers, talk about Jesus for an hour and a half with somebody. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's just remarkable how often we, we kind of lose this in our minds. But this is kind of the first step. This is what initiates. This is the first step in working uh, into that rest. Is that it's rest through community. And again, please, please remember that we, we, can't, we can't miss that. There is a cost for not doing this. The second point I want us to, uh, to start looking at is rest through God's word in faith. There's a couple passages I want to read, uh, and that's uh, Hebrews 4, 2 through 3, and then uh, also 4, 11 through 14. So I'll go ahead and read those. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also did, namely Israel. But the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listened in faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. So what the writer is saying is that there's rest still available. We haven't entered in, and now it's shut off. Eden's not closed. We can still enter into that rest, but you must listen to God's word in faith. And that, that in faith caveat is, is critical. That's the tipping point. That's the fulcrum where all of this rests. There's a lot of biblical scholars that know Bible in all their kind of historical contexts and literary contexts. Uh, they, they know the Bible more than, uh, better than most of us, uh, and yet they want nothing to do with God, let alone Jesus. How is this possible? How is that people dedicate their whole lives to studying the text, uh, and yet they want nothing to do with God? How is it that Israel, they, they heard the words of God, and it didn't benefit them? It's this in-faith caveat. It's entering into God's rest through his words, but taking in those words with faithfulness, dedicated to Christ, moving toward that end. It's in faith. It's in our dedication. It's in our faithfulness. It's in our belief in who he is, is what vivifies the word in our life. And so just studying God's word and, uh, and just doing it as a kind of a perfunctory, uh, well, I'm a Christian, so I need to read the Bible uh, at least every day. Um, 
and, uh, and then you find that you're still restless, uh, maybe we should be honest about ourselves. What does our faith look like? And if, if your faith is lacking, good news, ask God for more. He gives good gifts. And this isn't, this isn't some sticking point, and this isn't like, hey, you need to have more faith. It's if you do, don't worry. God gives you more. But we, we, and also, we, we, we can't just read the word of God and, and hope that like, it just it kicks off. We need to incorporate it with, with faith. And again, there's a backwards criticism here, a backwards cost of if you don't, just like Israel, it benefits you nothing. And in fact, what happened to Israel is they found death. If you incorporate the word without faith, you should expect what Israel got. We can't flake on this. There is cost, there is work in going through God's word, in studying God's word, in knowing God's word, and incorporating it into our life in faith. That's work. Right? Don't be disillusioned. It's, it's not, it's, it's, you have to take time. You have to take effort, uh, and it does cost you something. However, we need to recognize that it costs us far more if we don't. And so the, uh, the, the second passage is, is 4.11. And often I find that this verse is kind of plucked out of its context, um, and it's, it's a great verse, but um, I think it's very important to recognize that the writer of Hebrews plucks this, or sticks this right in the middle of this context of rest for a specific reason. It says, Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Again, that's... Uh, it, it's kind of a terrifying uh, description of God toward the end. He sees you. He knows you. He sees everything. And he's the one to whom we must answer. So the one that sees all these things, we're also accountable to. That should be scary, but don't worry. Right? We have his word. That word that penetrates our heart and our soul, that thing transforms us. It, it says that it, uh, it, it, just, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right? So you have your thoughts, but the intentions are the things that motivate your thoughts. It's your thoughts before their thoughts. And God even sees them. So study the word of God. It's, it's this word that penetrates us and it transforms us in ways that we won't actually see working. It hits us before we even think about it. But again, it has to be incorporated with faith. And it is, it is doing this, it is entering into the presence of this God that sees you anyways, but entering into that presence uh, with full confidence, which we'll get to a little bit later. And it's in doing that, that's the work of entering rest. We enter into that rest through God's word in faith. So we'll go ahead and move on to the, to the last point. And that's rest through Christ and his example. So we'll go ahead and uh, read this. And that's, uh, that's verse 14 through 16. And if you've noticed, I read 14 three times now. That's important. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet he is without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. 
this, um, there, there's, there's a lot of different facets to this. And, and again, uh, when, I, when I explained earlier, this could be its own sermon series. Uh, this point alone could be um, a couple different sermons. And again, just like the, the previous verse, this verse is often plucked out um, uh, of its context, uh, and often it's, used, it's still used well. Uh, it's, it's not like it's inappropriately plucked out. But I think in, in making sure that we keep it in the context of entering into rest is important. The writer of Hebrews reminds us who our Jesus is after talking about entering into God's rest. We enter into God's rest, and then he reminds us who our Jesus is. That's no mistake. And he talks about how this great high priest, this Jesus, this son of God, he passed through the heavens and is now in the throne room of God. So where is Jesus? He's in God's rest. And this is, this is important because what did, what did high priests do? They interceded on behalf of the people. Can we do this work perfectly? No, but our high priest did. This, this is how we, we, we execute this. This is, uh, this is the, the driving force in all of this, is that Jesus entered into God's rest, and we experienced that rest through our high priest, through our Jesus. It, it is through the work of Jesus that we, that we need to focus, and we need to work toward, and we need to drive toward. This is where we find rest. And if you've noticed, all of these things actually kind of feed into each other. Is that when, when we actually fought, when we when we rest through Christ, uh, when we when we study God's word and we incorporate it in faith, what is that word telling us about? It's telling us about our Jesus. When we're entering that rest, when we're doing the work of entering rest in community, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about our Jesus. It's through Jesus that we enter into God's rest. And we can do that with confidence because that high priest doesn't, uh, it's not like he doesn't sympathize with us. And this, this, this part is just, it, it's, it's wild uh, to think that a perfect God stepped into a cursed world. Christ himself wasn't cursed with a sin nature, but he still dealt with a cursed ground. He still dealt with a cursed world. He walked amongst restless people while he rested perfectly. He felt that temptation. He felt the pain. He felt the toil. He felt that drive to, uh, is, should I, maybe I could just toil a little bit, right? But to Christ, there was a clear delineation. This is toil. This is work. And so for Christ, he was able to divide those things perfectly, and that's why we need to look at, yes, we rest through Christ, but also through his example. Yes. How did Christ divide, these, divide the concept of toil and work? How did he, he sift through this mess? And Christ was able to work properly and not get confused with toil that we often go, go from toil to toil. And a lot of that is, is just our intention. Uh, we can even toil in ministry, can't we? So we need to recognize how, how is it that we actually uh, differentiate between this toil and this work, and that's, that's how we follow Christ's example. Christ shows us. How did he do that? So there's three major things that, that Christ did that I want us to talk about. And the first thing is, uh, is prayer. Christ was constantly praying. He's constantly talking to his Father. Right Before, in, before uh, most major uh, ministry events, uh, we find Christ praying, and then afterward we find him praying. And then a lot of times, uh, like when, as he's preaching, uh, he talks to God. He's constantly praying. What's our prayer life look like? If we find ourselves restless uh, and, and we find ourselves not able to differentiate, is, it, is this work, is this toil, is this for God, is this not for God, uh, does this just make me feel better or distract me from my toil, I, I just, I can't figure it out, what's your prayer life look like? Are you asking God? I, I don't. 
often just like struggle and struggle and struggle. And then it's, it's almost as if I, I read a passage uh, about Jesus praying and I'm like, why, why, am I, why am I not talking to you about this? Why am I not asking for help on this? But Christ is constantly asking God. He's constantly talking to God and communing with God. What if we stopped talking to our toil or talking to each other about our toil and we started talking to God about it? What if that that starts making clear lines in our toil and our work? So the next example is that uh, that Christ fasts. Uh, This is a a Christian discipline that's often, um, I don't know, kind of either pushed aside or, or, or just kind of suppressed. Um, and there are passages, even Jesus talks about, like, hey, if, if you're going to fast, like, make sure you don't like, look like trash uh, so that you can you know, kind of boast to other people. I get that. Uh, and that's very much true. It's a criticism against the Pharisees who just wanted man's praise. Um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be encouraging each other to do this, right? Uh, and if, if you've ever done any kind of a prolonged fast, uh, you, uh, you get to this uh, very strange point in a fast uh, where uh, you're no longer concerned with where your next meal is coming from. You're not looking for food. You're not looking to be satiated. You're hung- your, your stomach's asking you, right? But you get to this point where kind of the white noise of your life starts to turn off. If you've ever been in a room with a lot of fans on, and you just you go about your day, right? You don't notice it. Um, and then someone turns the fan off, and you're like, Wow, that was so loud. I had no idea. Uh, th- that's kind of what fasting does, is it just shuts off the white noise of your life. You're not concerned about well, where, how am I going to fill my belly. Right? And again, go back to the curse. That's, that's what Adam was cursed with, was you will fill your belly by the sweat of your brow. And when you fill your belly, moments later, you're just going to have to fill it again. You will never be satiated, and when fasting just leans into that, I'm unsatisfied with this world, and that's okay, because I'm satisfied in Christ. And that, that's what fasting kind of drives us into, is what, what if we fasted more and just kind of removed the white noise in our life? Maybe that helps us kind of differentiate between what is toil in our life and what is work. It's hard to see that when there's so much static Everything looks gray, right? Just taking time to fast uh, is, uh, is, is critical in helping us identify what, what is toil in our life and what is work. What's giving us restlessness and what's giving us rest in our lives? And then the last thing is, uh, is solitude. Uh, we, uh, we often find uh, Christ, again, in solitude, just taking time away, Right? And again, this is, uh, this is just another avenue in which you just shut off the white noise in your life. Sometimes uh, the, the things in our life that are drawing us into restlessness uh, are, are things that we, we don't really recognize. But when you get away, when you isolate, and you have nothing to distract yourself with, there's no toil to run to to distract yourself with. Because again, we go from toil to toil to toil. What if you didn't have that option? And you're just forced to see toil for what it is. And often it's far uglier than we want it to be. It, solitude is scary for a lot of us because being alone with your thoughts, that, that can be terrifying for some of us, right? And really analyzing, uh, what is it that I fill my mind with? What do I think about? What do I dwell on? What do I toil with? When we take time periodically to just take solitude, we actually start seeing clearer lines between what is work, what are the good things in our life, and what what are the things that are just causing more restlessness in our lives. And again, we see Christ doing this over and over and over. Um, uh, And again, we, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He is both in solitude and praying, right? He's, 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 he's looking at that clear line. This is work. The work of the cross. It's Christ's greatest work. And he prepares for it. He does the work of entering into that rest beforehand. 
We, follow, we enter into that rest by following Christ's example. If you find yourself restless, do what Christ did. You might start seeing things more clearly. And again, I, I, I want us to make sure that we understand that, uh, that rest does, all, it, it's going to cost us something, right? Whether that's solitude, right, and being alone with your thoughts, uh, or, or fasting and just dealing with hunger, uh, or taking time to pray, um, or, or being in God's word and incorporating that in faith, or just doing the work of community. This, all, this costs us, and I, I recognize that. And we all, we're all very busy. Right? I, I don't want to communicate that, that we're not busy or that we shouldn't be busy, right? Uh, we, we should be productive, right? Uh, but we need to be honest about what's, what's, what's refreshing us, what's making us alive, what's giving us rest. You can be busy and rested. And I think that's, that's often where we find ourselves is we just, we think we're busy and, and then therefore we're restless, but really what's motivating that is we're actually just busy and restless. So as we go throughout our week, I just want us to consider what, what are the things that in our life that is just toil? The thing that's actually bringing up more restlessness in our lives. And being honest about about what we can do to to start seeing those things for what they really are. And uh, and doing that hard work of actually identifying the toil in our life, but better yet, identifying the work of entering that rest. As we go throughout our week, let's let's focus on our Christ, right? We focus on our Christ in God's word. We focus on our Christ through the community. We focus on our Christ through his example. We enter into God's rest through our Christ. Let's focus on that rest. Let's enter into that rest. Because we have so much to pay if we don't. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.